my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hello, and welcome to season two of the Future Legends of Advertising podcast on iHeart, featuring the hottest up-and-coming stars in advertising, as well as the biggest legends in the game. In this series, we explore the future of the advertising industry through never-before-heard conversations between those who created it and those who are shaping its future. We're your hosts, Haley Romer and Ross Martin. Now, let's meet the legends. I got to say, before I introduce these people, I totally won the season because I said this in the last episode, when Haley and I divided up who's going to do which episodes, I was like, not that the other episodes suck, they're good, but they didn't have Baldwin Cunningham and Jerry DeFart. And I got Baldwin and Jerry DeFart. So this is that episode. Let me first bring out Baldwin. So I think everyone knows he's the director of media and partnerships at State Farm there. He's accountable for the media budget, sponsorship portfolio. He's got to drive brand awareness and consideration. He's also got to drive quote starts for State Farm. So he's got an intense job and he's coming off of a job that was also intense where he was the VP of client sales lead at Warner Brothers Discovery, where he was driving revenue across CPG, DTC, finance, insurance, all that. And before that, he was a VP of strategy at Brit & Co. working for our friend Brit. So without further ado, the Forbes 30 Under 30 Award winner from 2015, the 2019 Synopsis Rising Star Awardee, and the Bumble Biz's Most Inspiring New Yorker's very own Baldwin Cunningham. Welcome to the podcast. I should have you introduce me everywhere, Ross. That was great. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. That's what your buddy Chris Paul said when we interviewed him. <laughs> I gave him an incredible introduction, and then he was like, you should introduce me when I like play NBA games. And I told him I'm better than the dude who does it at Barclays Center. <laughs> hey, man, thank you for joining the show. I'm really happy to have you on the podcast. And I'm very excited about the award you're about to get. How are you feeling right now? One, thank you again for having me. It's an honor to be here talking to you and Jerry, who I've known and seen for a long time. You know, heads down, working hard all the time, but sometimes it's good to kind of take a step back and celebrate. So I'm very excited about this award. I'm very excited about the class of people. They're all awesome. And I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a big night, November 16th in New York, the American Advertising Federation's Advertising Hall of Achievement, which as everyone knows, honors executives who are 40 and under. What did it feel like for you 
when you got the call? Because I, I got to tell you, man, this year, it's always competitive. This was freaking intense. Like we only can let seven people into this thing. There's only like 250 in it overall. And the Hall of Achievement's a huge honor. So when you found out, how did that go? The first thing I did was call my wife. You know, I was really excited about it. And she knew that this process was happening. You know, when you have your head down, you're working, you're trying to do the best you can. It's good when the world or your community or other folks kind of see what you've been working on. So it kind of validated some of the things that you don't really get a feedback loop to. So it was exciting and it made me think that good job with where I've come and there's still a long way to go. Um, but to get an acknowledgement along the way is great. Well, you're paired on this episode with a true icon, Jerry DeVard. We're going to bring her out here in a second, but how do you feel about this pairing? Like you're, you're about to have a conversation with Jerry. I think you guys have met a couple of times. You sort of know her, but you definitely know who she is. And what do you think about this conversation you're going to have with her? What about her career? Listen, I couldn't be more excited. I think Jerry models what an executive is and should be. She has a very polished career in the marketing industry, holding executive level positions across several big companies that we're all aware of. But then to be on the other side and dedicate your life towards changing the infrastructure and the and the system behind you is also important. So I'm excited to dig in and, and learn more about just the impact during the journey and what the plan is for after um, as she still continues to pave the way. Yeah, I think she doesn't seem to be slowing down. So let's bring her out. What people know Jerry's doing right now is called BECA, B-E-C-A, the Black Executive CMO Alliance. She's going to talk about that, but it's this alliance that's designed to champion corporate diversity and help build the next generation of C-suite marketing executives. And God knows we need help there. But as you pointed out, Baldwin, she's worked for almost every company that you can think of. You know, chief customer officer and EVP of Office Depot for a long time. She's also held senior roles at Verizon, Citibank, Revlon, Harrah's, NFL, General Mills, Pillsbury. I mean, it's like, who has this resume? And the other thing is she sits on all these boards and has sat on Board. She's on the Under Armour board, cars.com, Root Insurance, before that, several others. In 2021, Advertising Age awarded Jerry with the Vanguard Award, one of the biggest awards in our industry. And it, it follows a long list of accolades. I have so much deep respect for this human being, and I'm so honored she would come on this podcast. Jerry DeBard, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ross. It's so good to be here. Before I even say anything, congratulations. Baldwin, that's a BFD uh, being uh, inducted into the uh, Hall of Achievement. So congratulations to you and all the work you've done. And Ross, as always, it's always amazing to see you, hug you, catch up. Yeah, last time I saw you, I think we were on the Quasette. We were at a, 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 a castle in, in south of yes, France. And I, yes. I saw Jerry Tavard and I said, I, just, I don't care who I'm talking to. I'm gonna, if I see Jerry Tavard at a party, I'm running that way. And I'm going to give her the biggest, you gave me the biggest hug. It's so nice to see you. I know. Time stood still. And you know why? Here's the thing. You know, there's a lot of what we do and there's a lot of the impact that we have on others. And my daughter, Brooke DeVardo Zidley, had the great fortune to work for you when she was at Viacom. And to this day, Ross, she says that you were one of the best 
bosses that she ever had. Oh, she taught me more than I taught her. I think. But, look at, but look, when yeah. someone says that about you, it's the real yeah. deal. So part of my mom kicks in, part of my fangirl kicks in when I see you, and part of my enjoyment of just cool, fun people kicks in. So it's always good to be around you. And yes, I almost dropped my glass of Prosecco when I saw you because I, my champagne, sorry, <laughs> champagne, got to know where I was when I saw you. I appreciate you. And shout out to the Naked Beauty podcast, Brooks podcast, which is unbelievable. Phenomenal. So, you too. I mean, th there's lots of reasons why the AAF and iHeart and Haley and I decided to pair you. But I think if I had to boil it down to just one, I, I think it's that, look, Baldwin and Jerry, you're obviously incredible marketers. Jerry, you were such a good marketer at ADT that you convinced me to get ADT from my house in Brooklyn. So you're both incredible marketers. We all know that. But I feel like you two are never operating within the boundaries of your, quote, job. I think it's the thing that it doesn't define you, but it certainly characterizes both of your careers. When I met Baldwin, I, I couldn't have even told you what he did at first at Warner Brothers Discovery because I felt like you were doing so many things to move that company forward. And Jerry, same for you throughout your career, but you've also done it in culture and in community. And I just, I guess I wonder how you both feel about, you get to a job, and then I don't think you, either of you ever look at the job description after you get the job, because it's just sort of like this license for you to innovate. And I guess if we could just start with Baldwin and then we'll go to Jerry, where does that come from? Like, you just don't seem to be content doing the job itself. You always seem to be doing so much more. Do you feel that way? No, I, I don't feel that way, but I'm also, I see where that comes from. You know, first generation American, I come from immigrant parents who both work two jobs just so I can be better. So the work ethic starts with them. But with every role I came into, I think there's an idea of what the outcome of the role should be. And then there's what you're capable of doing or the impact you can potentially have so I always look at, you know, the job at hand as table stakes, but then is what's the impact I'm going to make? How do I change things on top of that and just keep pushing things forward a little bit? And Jerry, it seems to me every time I turn around, there's some, you're everywhere. And yet you're an incredibly devoted mother and wife and grandmother now. But I don't understand how you're doing all that. You're the impact. There's no way to even calculate all the impact you've had on our industry and in the communities. Where does that drive come from for you? Well, I think first of all, I say when you say I'm everywhere, I'm everywhere, maybe digitally, but not everywhere physically, because I don't go out to a whole <laughs> lot of things. I'm very picky about where I go and what I do, but I do think that it's important to have a presence. And I was laughing when you said, you know, all that you do, because I'm I've always been guilty of doing the most. I, I like I can't do one thing. I don't know if I can only do five things. And that's kind of in me. And I think part of that was just I'm obsessed with doing something and doing it well. Like, don't half-ass it. Like, why do it if you're not going to do it well? And so when you put that on top of uh, being in an organization where what you do and how you perform leads to your reputation and your success, and, and then later on in my career, the impact. Because, you know, when I was in Baldwin Shoes, I was just kind of putting one foot in front of the other, right? And then somewhere along the way, when you're climbing the ladder, you realize that it's not about the climb, but it's about the lift. 
right? And that you have to turn around and see, well, wait a minute, who's kind of coming up behind me? Because people behind you are looking at you. They're watching everything you do. You don't know it. You're not thinking about that. And so I think doing a lot is A, because I can. I'm just like wired that way to do a whole lot of stuff at the same time. B, I have made the things that I do, the things I want to do. So I'm busy doing the things I want to do, at least especially now versus the things I have to do. And then I guess the third point would be that I recognize, accept, and am honored by the privilege of representing with big air quotes, my people, in that my success is not just my success, but the success of others. And and how I telegraph that and do that, I think is really, really important. Jerry, I do have a question for you on that because I like the separation between the climb and the pull, right? And <laughs> when you put your head into the climb phase, it's like you, you've achieved so many things. Was that based on putting your head down, working hard and all the right circumstances prevented them, presented themselves to you? Or was that based on having a plan in which you wanted to intentionally climb in that perspective? I'm curious as someone on that climb side, how were you thinking when you were in it? It was none of the above. And it was humility born out of failure. Right. Um, when I first started my career, every job I got, it came to me without me even asking or thinking, about, oh, they're going to promote you. They're gonna pro- oh, great, great. I'm getting promoted. Then all of a sudden, I didn't get promoted. And I thought, well, well what's going on? Wait a minute. And, and I realized that I had to kind of now go out and talk to people about what I was or was not doing and getting some real serious feedback about what I wasn't doing and then having to ask others to help. And that I think it was going from being a manager to being promoted to a director. And then I realized, oh, crap, I can't promote myself. I've got to I've got to really have people help me. You know, it's like the village that I needed. And so in being humbled by not getting promoted with everybody else and recognizing that I needed help, I then asked myself, well, who am I helping and who am I here for? And that's what really kind of cemented that in me. Right. So now going to the pull side, I'm curious what do you think is going to be more impactful to bring more people like you and me into these executive positions? Is it being the role model and inspiring? Because I looked at your LinkedIn, it's like, okay, (laughs) you inspire me and that's enough for some. But on the other side, it's you got to double click and kind of help people see what you saw and look around corners. Like, what do you think the is going to be most impactful as you look at that, that climb and pull side? Well, first of all, don't be fooled by you. You're inspiring a lot of people, Baldwin. You're in, and you you know that. Like so, don't be fooled by the length of my resume. You, what you've done, and where you are, and the job that you sit in, and the millions and hundreds of millions that you control. Someone is watching that and saying, "Yeah, that's what I want to do." I also want to say, when I went from the climb to the lift, it was when I was in rooms when we talked about succession planning. When the first time I had to sit down and talk about my team and see how it was presented and what people said, the things they did say and the things they didn't say. And I thought, ah, so this is how the game is being played. Someone isn't viewed as having gravitas. Someone isn't viewed as being quantitative. Someone isn't viewed as being strategic. Someone doesn't have the influence of the room. And so when I started to connect the dots and see what those people look like, women and people of color, I was like, oh, okay, so I'm getting the cues. Now I'm getting the keys. How do I then reach out to these people to say, 
how are you approaching this meeting? You need to say this, do this, ask that person, build that. So as I, as I got more and more of the breadcrumbs, I started putting it together to make a loaf oh, no. um, and realizing that because I was in that room having that conversation that I couldn't keep it to myself. And I had to find a way, you know, confidentially without revealing anything to help lift those people up. So that's the first part of that. In terms of the impact that we can have, so many times when I've talked to people about, you know, people that I've hired or promoted or put in rooms and podiums where they can be viewed, because I, I always think good leaders give praise for even the work that they've done when their team has worked for them and bad leaders take credit. And so someone said to me one time, well, yeah, Jerry, you can do that because you were a fill in the blank, but I'm just a fill in the blank. And I said, okay. You may not feel you have the power to create these opportunities, but you can damn sure ask the questions, right? Ask why. Ask why isn't this person in the room? Ask why don't you have an assignment? Ask why aren't you being, you know, prepared for, assuming you've told people what you want, right? Because no one can read your mind. Nobody wakes up every day trying to figure out what you want. But assuming that you've told them that, then I think our opportunity is to die trying to change whatever sphere of influence we have. If it's not by doing, it's by asking questions. If we talk about rooms and organizations where you're you know, the only male, but you look back at your team and your whole team is male, then what are you doing? If you're in a room and you talk about you know, it not having people of color and you look at your own team and there are no people of color, then what are you doing? So it's holding people accountable, but also leaning into your power about changing the normal course of direction. Love that. Everyone can make a change. I wonder, Baldwin, when you think about the back half of your career, so th there's a funny thing that happens with the Hall of Achievement is that all these people call it like the halfway mark in your career, which I find scary because if you're 40 years old, I don't, I don't really want to work until I'm 80, but <laughs> whatever. So when you look at the back half of your career, from here on, right? You take that stage on the 16th, you get your award. It's sort of this responsibility. What are the things that you look at, Jerry, and other heroes of ours, and you're like, I know what I want to go do with this responsibility? That's an interesting question. You know, it's funny what Jerry said at the beginning of her last question was, you've already done, people are already watching. So I think it starts off by understanding that, you know, I'm in a position to make the impact and not letting any external thing validate that time. And, you know, as you're growing in your career, you, you're trying to figure out the balance of, you know, how much you give and how much you need to go and do and execute yourself, but you can execute to give, right? And you can kind of bridge those two things together. And it's really about pulling people along. I've been lucky with the jobs and the people and the community I've been in, but at every corner, there's been someone who helped pull me out or helped tell me to look right instead of left. And I have to honor that and know that's a part of why I'm here. Now, the question is, how do I do that to others? Because, Rossi, you say this all the time. I always look like the person that doesn't fit in, but then I get into the job and do more than the job asked for. But that's only because people place the bet on me, right? That's because someone helped me see what I'm capable of. And I'm starting to define that in my own world, in my own life. So it's about inspiring the other people that just are right on edge that can be the next version or be better than I am um, that just needs a vote of confidence. Yeah, I was going to say, Baldwin, as you were saying, you were figuring it out. 
it's funny, as you're figuring it out, someone else has already figured it out. So someone else has already dropped your name or followed you or, or wanted to have the confidence or the excellence or the command of the room that you have. Because in your job, there's a lot of responsibility. You know, you don't get there by luck. And you said luck. And I'm always, you know, like, okay, really? That, that thing about preparation <laughs> meeting hard work is very true. You know, nobody was handing out free candy, Baldwin, when you showed up, right? <laughs> You've earned the right to be there. And I think that if people came out to help you because it's because they said, yeah, he's got something and I want to help him. So when you think about how you want to pay it forward or how you're paying it forward, how does that kind of come together? And how do you think about paying it forward? I started with just thinking about my life. And when I look back, the unknown has always been scary until it wasn't, right? I didn't know what entrepreneurship was until I met entrepreneurs. And then I started the company. I didn't know what being in corporate America was until I got into corporate America. And I said, okay, I can do this. And it's really about when you're at that point, that edge where you're questioning whether you are capable of achieving something or not. I want to be the guy pushing people over because we set limits to ourselves sometimes and the world is limitless. So I think the more and more people that can just see themselves on the other side and know they can make the change they want to see in the world and they can execute the things that they're thinking about, the better we're all going to be. And hopefully I can be that push for folks. Well, you already are that push, but the industry, let's talk about our industry. So we're, we're at a kind of crazy time for marketers and advertisers. And I feel about the two of you, you could have been successful in lots of different industries. What do you both love about marketing and advertising? What that keeps you in it? What gets me excited about this industry is the possibilities. Now being here, the whole world is a platform. Right. And everything we do is driven towards achieving our business goals, but the route to get there is absolutely endless. It's storytelling. It's how we execute. It's how you partner, how we're looking at culture, whether you're young or old, how you're collaborating, whether you're here or there. And I like this mix of variables that we just have to be paying attention to in order to execute against at any time. What I love about this industry is that it chose me. It chose me before I even knew it because I didn't know the idea of persuading people to buy, to prefer, to consider was a thing. Like you all walk around the grocery store, wherever we are, and all the brands that we buy, it's a function of someone getting in your head around what's best for you. And when I took a class, I was an econ major at Spelman College, shout out to Spelman College, my wonderful alma mater. I took a class in consumer behavior and it was like, wow, okay, yeah, this is why people do what they do. And I was just so drawn to it that I, I knew that this was something I wanted to do. The only thing that I probably could have also done was to be in sales in some form or fashion, because as a marketer, you're always selling an idea, you're selling, persuading an organization to take a path. Some people feel that that path is subjective, but it's very objective and very data rich and bold when you live in a world of data. So you know what I'm talking about. But I think that the the beauty of being able to decide and create reasons to purchase and believe and to want, which is very sexy to me and something that I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm all in on that, um, even before I knew what you did with it. And for me, I kind of also stumbled into marketing, but I think the 
core of marketing has always been something involved in my life. So uh, entrepreneurship, it's building things that don't exist and solving problems, which is something I do every day as a marketer. Jerry, you mentioned sales. I was on the sales side for five years. You're constantly selling, you know, here. I like that it has this mix between business and solving real business enterprise problems, but then there's this layer of creativity on top. So marketing is a collection of all of those things in my past that I get to exercise on a daily basis. Yeah, I can't imagine, like I look at like what our chief legal officer did or CFO or supply chain. It's like, really? That's what you do all day? Okay, do you, but <laughs> you know, we, we, we're having fun over here, but it's tough. I mean, I, I should say it's tough because everyone feels that their mother, brother, sister, lover can do it better, cheaper, faster, smarter, but you build a thick skin around that and you just really get into it and understand the, the reasons and the, the, the data that you need to persuade. There was a real interesting moment in the Chris Paul episode this season where he was really, he was marveling at like the first time he was on a set, which the most significant set he's ever been on was really State Farm. But he's also like did Nike, he did Beyond Meat. And he was talking about how there's so many people everywhere. And it's like if, if the director had a message, he would pass it to somebody else who would pass it to somebody else who would pass it to Chris. And it was like, we need you to speak a little bit louder, was the message. And he looked at the director. He's like, bro, why don't you just tell me to speak louder? You don't have to go all the way around the whole room here to get to me. And um, But then he talked about like how much joy he had in watching the team work together. And I wonder, you're both team leaders and team builders. I wonder if you could talk about the power of the teams that you guys have built and led and how how you made them or how you make them so successful. That's something I think about a lot, even coming into this new role just over a year. And we talked about this with even mentees, Jerry. It's not about me. It's about, I think the impact I have is how can I make someone better after working with me? And that's about the impact. But then currently is like, how do we get together to create a better product than anyone can create as an individual? I think knowing that the input across different people, different ways of thinking, different ways of life can result into something better for everyone is what drives me. I'm an active listener as much as I talk, but I think I listen more than I talk. That's why you have two ears and one mouth. That's the quote I live by. But it's this idea that you can learn from everyone. You need to make people feel comfortable about being in that environment and knowing that their input is just as valuable as anyone else's as we walk to that, through that journey. Sometimes, Baldwin, sometimes. Because I'm going to tell you, this is something that I really, really, really care deeply about is good leadership. And it's because I had some really bad managers growing up in my career. You know, as I said, good leaders take blame and give credit. And I recall many times working like, weekends, evenings, all night on a document from my boss. And I was like, yeah, okay, you're going to get to present this. But I wanted there to be some recognition of what I had done. And many times there wasn't. And so because of having had that experience of feeling that I got a kind of a pat on the head, as opposed to, you know, Jerry's done some of this work, I then started bringing junior people into meetings with senior leaders. And I'd say, look at the work that 
you know, Sarah did. Um, she's great because I. you then have to have the confidence to give credit to others. You have to believe that you are not judged by everything you do, but that the way you are as a leader, and I was like a bear with cubs, fiercely protective. Sometimes people felt that it was overly protective and couldn't be objective, but I knew I knew that marketers, you know, we were easy to be attacked. So I knew I had to be able to protect and defend and prepare them. And so I think that being a good leader is really, this is the golden rule. Put yourself in that person's place who wakes up every day trying to do a good job. Have you coached, led, used teachable moments to make them better? Or have you just thrown them into the deep end and said, yep, told you they couldn't swim. And I think that because people poured into me, I wanted the opportunity to do the same. And it means so much when you're you know, coming up in your career and someone kind of like, I see you, not only do I see you, but I see that I can help you. And small things like going to their office for a meeting instead of having them come to my office, asking them what they felt when they did raise their hands themselves, asking my team when I get before I gave, you know, after reviews, I'd say, now give me some feedback and don't tell me I'm great. Tell me how I can be a better leader because I know I can be. So it's that vulnerability, that humility, that recognizing that. And I always tell them, I'm going to make mistakes. I point out my mistakes so no one feels that they have to be perfect. And a lot of times people of color and women, we feel we have to be perfect because if we show any sign of not being perfect, then we're not going to get the same chances that other people get. So in, as I said, as more cracks in the, the veneer of the playbook started to show themselves, I started to then use that. And one of the things I wanted to be was a good leader. Now, I'm not soft. You can imagine, I, you know, I hold you accountable, but I'm going to make sure that I'm going to maximize my role as your leader to make you the best you you can be. Jerry, as you think back in your career being on this side, you mentioned that idea of perfection, right? Mm -hmm. Do you still think that holds true? Is that just something you thought while you were doing it? And now that you look back, was that the right way to be thinking or are we just overthinking it? Well, that was not the right way to be thinking it. I can tell you that that was a mistake because I would stay up at night. I would stay up the last person to leave the office. And I wasn't doing it for brownie points. I was doing it so I could be prepared, like I'm going to be prepared. And I think it's because me as a black woman, I felt that I couldn't go in and say I didn't have the answer or that everything wasn't perfect. But the problem with that is what I should have said was, I'm doing this. What do you think? I need your help. And I need your help is not saying I can't do it. It's like I value your experience, your judgment, your coaching. And I, it took me too long to come to the comfort of saying I need your help. I had thoughts about it. Uh, and so I see it now, though, still, Baldwin, that um, posture syndrome that many people face, like, okay, I'm just like here on a humbug and they're going to discover me sooner or later. People still feel that way. And, and that needs to stop. And so Yes, it was prevalent for me because I felt that the only way I could get ahead was to be the smartest person in the room. And it's true that if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, but that the vulnerability and the confidence to know that I didn't have to have all the answers. So when people feel that they can't ask for help, they haven't built a strong enough network. If they built a strong enough network and they haven't asked for help, then that means that there is a bit of fear of failure as opposed to arrogance, because it's not like I felt I had all the answers. It was like, oh, hey, I don't have it. I got to figure this out. This was even before Google. So, you know, <laughs> don't, don't, don't suffer in silence. And the worst is don't fake the funk. If you don't know it, don't act like you do, because anybody can double click underneath that and expose you, you know, for fraud. 
I love that. And I love the vulnerability tie. I mean, that's, that's something I try to do often. We all make mistakes, but it's a comfort level we need people to have in being true to themselves and putting things out there and letting us all grow together versus trying to do it alone. They say, you want to go fast, run alone. You want to go far, run together. And just understanding like what your input is to the together is, I think that's an ongoing journey, but I love that health comment because it is hard, right? It's like with everything you can figure out and develop and learn in this world, the last thing you want to show is that you're not capable, but sometimes that's not the end goal. Sometimes the end goal is for us to work together to get the capability. And I think that's a great nugget for that I'm going to run with from here on out. Well, but so Baldwin, I have a question to ask you. Okay. So you are the director of media and partnerships at State Farm. There is not anyone that consumes any kind of media that is not seeing what you're doing. By the way, shout out to the State Farm guy. He is very cool, very handsome. Uh-huh. Jake from State Farm. He's he's awfully, he's good. He's good on the eye, good on the ear, and he's a good spokesperson. But of the money that you have to kind of allocate in developing that budget, how are you really fine-tuning? And there's so much new media coming up all the time and targets are splintering. And like, how do you lay out that plan and, and feel confident that, yeah, this is the best use of our spend, the ROI, the ROAS, Romy, however you want to measure it. How do you do that? I would say it takes a village. I have a really good team. We're focused on specific areas and we're doing some cross-learning across those to make sure from a process, a measurement, a data efficiency perspective, we're thinking about what that media needs to do for us. We have Optimum Sports and OMD who are agencies who always have their ears on the ground, giving us the ability to leverage volume as well as see things beyond what is right in front of us. And, you know, we really work on building relationships with our partners. And it's not just the relationships, it's the type of relationship. You know, we're always open to ideas. We raise our hand for first to market opportunities. And, you know, we're in a really competitive industry. So we think a lot about how do we punch above our weight? And that's where a lot of the pressure comes from. It's making sure that we're top of mind, people understand, and we're hitting all of our different KPIs. So it's, it's really complicated. It's a long process, but there's a lot of hands in that's making sure we're getting exactly what we need. So I'm just a piece to a much larger group around me. Well, we talked earlier about what you love about the industry. On the other side of things, if you could just snap your fingers and change one thing about our industry, what would you change? The lack of diversity. You're trying, though. Yeah, but Ross asked me if I could snap my fingers and change one thing. Right. And I do two snaps in a circle to change that. Yeah, and I don't know if I'm just too close or based on where I'm sitting, it's you know, it, it's just the effectiveness of, of media in some areas. I think in some places I can tell you exactly what our media is doing, the targeting, the measurement. I think in other places, there's still a long way to go, especially when you think about some of these upper funnel channels. And, you know, a lot of people are operating via proxies. And I think for the sheer size of this industry, we should be a lot more effective. And I think there's a lot of people trying to solve a lot of problems, but There's no single source of truth with a lot of these things. So it's about really getting to understand what what that ROI is and and how do you get a common measurement across every platform so you can understand that. So 
there's a lot of work we're doing on the back end to be as close as possible. But I think our industry has a long way to go because we shouldn't have to validate effectiveness when we know we're driving business outcomes. But a lot of times you have to, and that's because of tools we have to help us do that. So again, I think we're getting closer, but still a lot of work to do. I couldn't agree with you more. And the themes of this season are both of the things that you guys just said you wish you could change. So I think you just nailed it, both of you. Let's do one final one final question. And this, this one's really about Baldwin, but it's for Jerry. What is your hope, Jerry, for Baldwin's generation of marketers as they come up into leadership positions and they begin to become, you know, some of the, the, the biggest executives in our industry? What is your message to that generation that Baldwin is part of as they start to embrace that power? Well, my message to Baldwin, who is an up-and-coming marketing leader, is, I guess, the same message of Becca, the Black Executive CMO Alliance, which is the organization that I co-founded with, at the time, 25 other C-suite Black marketers, recognizing that our talent and our time and our experiences were not just about us, but about what we did for others. That the assumption is, is that you're damn good at what it is you do that excellence is important to be followed, to be credible, to be inspirational. And so at the Black Executive CMO Alliance, what we do is we created this program called the Becca Playbook, which gives you those that I talked about, those kind of those secrets that you don't share, those breadcrumbs about how what it's like when you're in the C-suite, um, how close you are to the flame, how you show up. And so we take managers and directors and the CXOs, who are the presidents, the CEOs, the CMOs, we pour into all of these sessions. It's 100 hours plus of what it's like to be in the C-suite, right? And then we talk about, well, what's Black about that? Like, yeah, you got to get to the C-suite. You got to struggle. You got to hustle. You got to work hard. But then how did you do it in an authentic way that allowed you to be you, but also to help others and help others that look like you? And so my hope would be like for Baldwin, as he is kind of thinking about and figuring out how to be excellent at what it is he does and continuing that legacy, that he builds time, energy, passion, and addiction to helping the next generation. Because what we do is, is about legacy. And I, I, I told you, you, you have to reach that point where you recognize that it's not just about you, but about others in everything that you do and say and build. Because it's given that you're going to be good. It's a given that you are in that role as you are male, female, black, white, you know, Asian, what, what, whatever group you identify with. But then it's like, how do you leverage that? What's the, what's the leverage that provides assistance for others? So Becca and the Black Executive CMO Alliance is really about continuing to keep it top of mind that we are here, but we're here for others as well. I love that. That's a tall order. And you know what? If you let me know if there's anything you can do to help me do that as well, right? The, the ask is clear. Uh, and you're setting, up, you're setting a playbook. I would love to tap into you to make sure, you know, we're, I'm driving that change with the responsibility and privilege that I have right now. Well, I got your email address, so you know I'm going to be emailing you. <laughs> I love this so much. The, the, the two of you are so inspiring, not just to me, but to all of our listeners. And I appreciate you both for taking the time. You're extraordinary in your own ways. And we're all learning a lot from you both from this episode. So 
Baldwin Cunningham, Jerry DeVar, thank you both so much for joining us on Future Legends of Advertising. Thank you, and congratulations again, Baldwin. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Well, that does it for this episode of the Future Legends of Advertising podcast on iHeart. I'm Ross Martin. And I'm Haley Romer. And thank you for listening. We'll be back with another episode before you know it. And for more information on the American Advertising Federation, go to aaf.org.